Welcome to Scandinavian Mind Weekly, our show about the current trends and events within business, tech, fashion, design, culture and more from the Nordic perspective of our team of editors and contributors. Today on the program, the latest news from EP Summit, the digital fashion conference in Florence, Italy. We had a reporter on the ground and we'll report from there. Also, CB Insights Research have released their future of fashion, technology and the industry. We talk about that, same topic. And uh, other news, Instagram have started testing NFTs with select creators this week. Ooh. And the knowledge about NFTs is way lower than you might think, according to a new survey from Samsung Nordics. We are going to hear from Head of Innovation, Oscar Noid, later in the program. I'm Conrad Olsen, Editor-in-Chief and Founder of Scandinavian Mind. And I'm here with Roland Philipp Kretschmar, our Editor-at-Large, and Eric Sedin, Junior Editor. Eric, in Paris, how are you? I'm uh, really well. My first time, and I'm really enjoying it. Sorry for the booing, Conrad. I couldn't help myself. Uh, Roland is making a comeback on the podcast uh, and he has uh, a a fiery mood this morning when we record so let's just (laughs) uh, but (laughs) looking forward talking about that but Eric just uh, we need some color some flavor from Paris we started traveling again Uh, you landed last night Uh, you're going to attend an event that we can't talk about today we will talk about that in other episodes but what are your observations so yeah, like you said, I came in last night quite late. It's already dark, and I was like, I have to see. Since I'm flying home tomorrow, I was like, I have to see the Eiffel Tower. And I live real, real close by, and I walked over, and I was kind of amazed. I was shocked about how I thought it was going to be like a swings effect. People are going to see the swings in Egypt are really, you know, disappointed when they actually see <laughs> it. They're like, oh, is that it? It's really small. But I was really amazed by the Eiffel Tower. It was really like, really like it was big and like enormous. And I was standing there with my mouth open, looking and like selfie stick out, everything. <laughs> it was great and then i walked back to my hotel and i had some like onion soup uh, with bread really great you know some rats <laughs> ran, i'm not even joking a rat ran over my foot on the like at the restaurant so all my okay. like paris <laughs> prejudices paris. are coming through just avoid nice the dog shit <laughs> yeah was the the rat from ratatouille perhaps uh, you're actually using a selfie stick that was the only thing i that really caught my attention <laughs> no, no 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 just only kidding Okay, I was hoping for that. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll be back from uh, with your report from Paris in the next week, perhaps. Um, in other news, in Europe, our uh, editor-at-large, Oliver Dahle, our man in Florence, have uh, visited EP Summit, first for us, and I think a first for uh, Pitti Imagini, the the uh, uh, trade show organization down in Florence that organized a digital fashion conference. Uh, this is really kind of the boring stuff, <laughs> to be to be honest. But I am really excited about this for for various reasons, um, and um, the reason is basically that I think that the, what the fashion world needs the most right now is kind of boring behind the scenes technology in order to solve its problems. It's easy to talk about new garments and uh, talk about new. Uh, uh, ways to design clothes and renting and recycling and all that, uh, that that kind of is consumer facing. But I think what's happening behind the scenes is what's going to change the industry. And this is a topic that we will go into quite a lot in the week uh, uh, to come. 
And just, uh, you know, I was super happy that Oliver were able to visit this uh, uh, trade show. And online now on ScandinavianMind.com, just want to plug this, uh, we mm. have a story uh, from EP Summit where he lists some of the um, exhibiting kind of brands or innovations. Uh, they had several talks and, and, and kind of keynotes talking about digital garments and gaming NFTs and so on, these kind of topics that we've been talked about, but also like things like uh, Your, which is a, a virtual showroom, uh, a way to sort of, uh, you know, visualize fashion digitally in ways that, that have perhaps hasn't been uh, available uh, before. Um, there are also other examples like uh, Lectra, uh, helps fashion brands with automated fabric cutting, uh, Soprasteria, uh, software development and consulting for, for end-to-end solutions, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> things like this. Uh, have, have you guys had a chance to, to look at this uh, story by Oliver? Yeah, sure. I mean, <clears throat> I actually started back in, in my early days. I, I, I studied at London College of Fashion. So, you know, I have a natural interest for the fashion industry and I think it's um, really fascinating to to look at behind the scenes. As you say, there's a lot to fix. I mean, supply chain issues. Um, I mean, everything related to sustainability in terms of production, manufacturing. Um, and obviously, technology can accelerate that uh, change journey. So I think it's super fascinating. And I, I, I was uh, reflecting earlier this week. You know, why is it that, you know, we have this uh, event now that uh, Oliver went to, we have the CB Insights report, as you mentioned, we have the McKinsey, mm. a business of fashion report on the same topic. I mean, it seems to me that there's a lot, th- there's kind of this tipping point where fashion and technology meets at the moment, which is really, really interesting to um, deep dive into, which goes beyond this kind of cons- consumer facing technologies that we have talked mm. about. But yeah, mm. so I think yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, and I'm just going to say, Oliver Dahle, he's been dropping consistent bangers on the site now. So everyone should actually read this. And like I said, shout the out. earlier one, I said, it, uh, yeah, shout out. The, la- the last one he wrote about the fashion schools and the fashion colleges. And like you said, kind of the boring stuff makes the world go round in a way. We can sit here and talk about, oh, avatars and identity in the metaverse. But this is where it starts, right? You know, <laughs> helping the supply chain and ma- making like digital fashion actually really tangible. Mm. Well, and um, we, you know, we sense this a lot from Scandinavian Mind perspective. For two years ago, we decided to cover the sort of the intersection of lifestyle and technology, where how technology is changing fashion, and uh, you know, this has really come to fruition. And and uh, in Florence, they have a newly appointed scientific director called Rinaldo Rinaldi, of course. Very <laughs> dapperly well-dressed gentleman, uh, yeah. as anyone working with Pitti Magini down in Florence are. <laughs> um, and uh, Rinaldo talks in the article about how, you know, when putting fashion companies together, you because that's their sort of core business uh, down in Florence to do trade shows. They have Pitti Uomo, for instance, and Pitti Bambini and, and, and all these other shows. There's a lot of jealousy and, and uh, uh, competition. But he says that for this event, uh, there was kind of like uh, the fashion industry kind of gathered around this. Uh, and he talks about how important it is to create the meeting point for fashion companies to talk about the, this stuff. And I think what's happening is the fashion industry has realized that if they don't transform, if, if, if they don't uh, change their way of working, they're going to lose out. 
uh, I think that's the underlying message here. And that's why I think it was interesting to hear that uh, the fashion companies are kind of, okay, we need to pay attention to what's happening because if, if you know, there's, there's, if, I mean, the fashion is such a, a traditional industry. It's been going on for such a long time and kind of <laughs> working the same way for a hundred years, producing garments, selling them to uh, retailers that sells them to the consumer, right? But what we were talking about here is a completely different landscape, and uh, that that connects with like what you're saying, Roland. Like it's supply chain. What happens with uh, you know the world order when we can't you know no longer rely on uh, you know production in in other parts of the world because of wars, because of trade sanctions, and, and stuff like this. Really, kind of the boring stuff that the fashion industry don't like to talk about. Mm. Uh, but but I find this I find this super fascinating, and and uh, it's one of my favorite articles uh, that we published uh, the, the last few weeks or months, even. But something I'm I'm, I'm thinking about quite a lot is, um, I mean, cynically speaking, uh, what is driving what here? So this is the hen and the egg question, you know. So mm. obviously, one could argue that. The trends that we see in the in the fashion industry now adopting more transparency in the supply chain, uh, more sustainable manufacturing processes, all these things are kind of driven by consumer demands. On the other hand, you could say that they are forced to do it by because of regulation. Or the third option uh, is obviously that it's just another, the reason they are adopting tech so fast and so much is because it's just another way to increase growth and increase revenue and profit. Mm. Right. So I'm I'm and, and, and the point I'm trying to make here is like, look at Shine. Zero yeah. sustainability, but the fastest growing company in the world. I mean, the fashion company, right? Yeah, the, the uh, fast fashion uh, kind of uh, Ch- Chinese fast fashion company. Um, exactly. With and, 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 like yeah. zero sustainability. <laughs> right. So I'm not actually that convinced that consumers care that much about sustainability to be honest i mean yes in our parts of the world of course uh in mm. uh, but uh, generally speaking globally i don't think it, it's it's such an issue yeah interesting i point. think th- there's a lot of signaling going on in terms of consumers caring about sustainability but what the drive one of the drivers that i've understood and, and we can go i think we should deep dive into this in in the the weeks and months to come because uh um there's going to be a lot happening on the regulation front yeah, and I think exactly. a lot of fashion brands are not uh, sort of ready for this. Uh, the, there is stuff boiling in the EU, for instance, about um, uh, regulating how to deal with textiles, how to deal with transparency, how to deal with trans- uh, sustainability. I'm only sort of superficially aware of these things. I know they are happening. We're going to have um, on the transformation conference that we're hosting this this summer uh, and later in August, we're going to have a session on this topic mm. because, you know, if if the regulation comes in here and the fashion brands, you know, they have to adapt, they have to transform, there, there's just no way out. And then they have to uh, uh, sort of adhere to or find new technologies, innovations that are presented at conferences like the EP summits. And that's really fascinating. Yeah. That's really like behind the scenes things happening in the fashion industry right now. Yeah, And that was my point. I mean, that, that was my, the, my second bullet. And I think that the reason many of these companies now adopt new technologies really, really fast because they want to, um, I mean, basically they know what's coming, <laughs> right? So right. They, they, it, it takes a couple of years to change uh, and they know harder how, how regulations will come. So it's, it's just a way of kind of mitigating. Hmm. Uh, but just, they, I mean, 
Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, what the reason is. I think if it turns out that fashion companies is a $3 trillion industry, if it turns out that the fashion industry can become more sustainable, great. It doesn't matter what the reason is behind it, mm. right? If, if it is mm. for increasing profitability, fine. I don't care. It, mm. I mean, that's just part of the capitalist system, right? I don't care if companies are doing well or not. That's great. But I think we are uh, fooling ourselves if we believe that the consumer power is, is so impactful that that is the reason why companies are changing. No. Um, I think regulatory issues, yes. And then uh, tech is actually uh, providing greater profits at a faster time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it can, technology can go either way, right? The, the Shane example is the the there. I mean, we can do a whole podcast on that. But the 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 ways of working that I've heard about or learned about is just staggering. The way they can put a product to market in just a few mm. days, based yes. on <laughs> a, you know a trending uh, photograph uh, on Instagram. And and they can do it so fast that they don't even have time to produce the actual lookbook image. Mm. So they, what they do is on the actual uh, e-commerce website, they just steal the photo that they they are replicating. Yeah. They have that <laughs> as the and it goes so it goes down so fast also because they they produce it, they sell it, uh, it's out of trend and it's gone. So no one can even <laughs> keep up with with sort of the the legal ramifications <laughs> of of stealing sort of copyrighted pictures. Mm. And and I think, yeah, you you make a great point there. And I mean, obviously, all those processes are automated as well. We, th- that is AI, kind of a machine learning technologies, uh, advanced analytics uh, that is driving that, right? So I mean, mm. and and I and I think you know, I'm I'm not trying to be cynical here. Just reality check. Like, if we have robots that replace human labor, if we have uh, uh, machine learning. Um, platforms that can uh, scan internet on new trends and translate that into um, new patterns and new styles, if we have uh, more automation in the supply chain, all these things, <clears throat> why do why do we see that happening? Well, it is be- to reduce cost of labor, it, right? Mm. So, But then on the other hand, it also contributes to making the processes more sustainable, maybe more transparent, etc. But yeah, I'm just trying to kind of look at the yeah, two well, sides in, of this coin. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the flip side is, of course, that the overproduction is so staggering in the fashion world. So can you, you know, I mean, obviously, obvious use, some use case of, of technology is can we limit overproduction through uh, a more st- sort of streamlined uh, um uh, distribution process and so forth that yeah. could have huge benefits for, for the environment? And I think it's interesting. I mean, we referenced two reports here, and you will find them in the show notes. Yeah, we have the CB Insights report, fashion tech future trends. Uh, you know, and the table of content in that report. I mean, it's quite interesting to observe that it is. I mean, three quarters of the content is about this kind of behind the scenes technology. You know, product design, the manufacturing process, inventory, distribution, supply chain, and then obviously there are chapters about, um, you know how we change the retail space, how we change uh, consumer-facing um, engagement and all of that, right? So, But mm. it is really, really about the, um, the deep tech and the tech behind the scenes, as you say, that, that, that is changing the industry. While on the other hand, uh, what, what's interesting as maybe a, you know, kind of as an opposite is this uh, uh, Business of Fashion and, and uh, McKinsey report where they actually focus more 
on the consumer facing things. So, you know, metaverse or hyper personalization, connected stores. And, you know, so they, they have a, this, they spend quite a little time on mm. manufacturing related, supply chain related mm. technologies. Kind of interesting to observe um, that, yeah, they did just approach it from different um, perspectives. Yeah, and I have a, a uh, one observation in that as well, and it's it's kind of funny um, that I always talk about that evolution is going in two different directions at the same time. One is more high tech and more advanced. The other is kind of more mm-hmm. uh, down to the basics, down to nature, down to ground. The more we are on social media, the the more the interest in sort of hiking and getting into nature stuff kind of spikes. So the, the future and the past kind of uh, gets highlighted at, at the same time. And in that, because uh, something we haven't seen that much innovation in is the the, the retail space. I think yeah. you know this. There's been brewing innovations in the retail space for ten years, and and you know you guys have seen this as well. That you know mirrors that can kind of give uh, information on the garment, or uh, you know uh, these tags you can you can scan and get more information in your phone and all this. But really, what the retail space is like, you want to go into a store, you want to have a pleasant experience, nice staff, and you want to try on the clothes, and even. Um, uh, Kerry Murphy, the cover story of, of Scandinavian uh, Mind, talks about that the physical retail experience is still kind of the best way to uh, experience fashion. And you know what he's doing is, of course, trying to find a way to replicate that in a digital session, kind of, uh, digital um, uh, context, in a kind of metaverse context. But he actually mentions that experience. Um, as kind of the the baseline for for experiencing fashion, and you know, my point here being that maybe we don't need to reinvent so much what's facing the consumer. Maybe that's kind of the basics. The consumer wants to you know feel like they're looking good, they're on trend, have a good experience in the store, feel like they're cool. Like these are very traditional, basic core values. And what the, the we're, we're sort of iterating the same point over and over, but what the fashion industry needs is more what's happening behind the scenes, making sure we don't do have this overproduction. We don't have, you know, transport things all over the world uh, and, and find a more sort of streamlined way of, of delivering kind of the same experience that, that we, we want it for for all times right Hmm. but i okay fair enough however i would argue and this this we should talk about this more in depth uh, in a future episode is the the way the mechanics around e-commerce are changing so and and commerce i would say so Mm. you know you can you can cut a lot of um steps on the commercial journey by uh inviting people to these kind of community-based commerce platforms where basically you are part of a community it could be by invite or it could be by purchasing access to a community and 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 as you enter and become part of this community then you have only then you have availability to to purchase <clears throat> and that cuts a lot of corners and it creates this this uh, sense of belonging it, it creates a, a, a deeper fan base much more uh, more engagement so I, I think there's a lot happening in the in the commerce space and especially around e-commerce where the mechanics around the commercial journey is changing. And I mm. think we should look into this more in depth because 
Um, that then that's when you then also see the benefits of having certain technologies. For example, in in Asia, live shopping is huge. I mean, it's mm. it, it, it's one of the fastest ways. I mean, fastest growing ways of selling. Um, in the world and this has been so meaning adopted. someone like there's a live stream of someone trying on clothes and so forth yeah. and you can then click like uh, in real time on, on yes. the clothes and, and buy them exactly and the reason it works is because it's again this sense of belonging and this community that is built right. all around um, a brand or a person selling etc and, and and that's what you don't get in the traditional retail space unless mm. of course I mean this will be a very local reference but I've been a customer at uh, at Nitty Gritty for 25 years. You could argue that you know it's one store that has a very loyal fan base for the past 25 years, and you know that b- creates a sense of community. There are those examples, the hyper local examples of those stores around the world. But if you take the big retail chains, mm. they don't have that. I mean, I don't I don't feel a sense of belonging with H and M or even Louis Vuitton, right? It it just feels so mass scale anonymous and and you know i so i i think there is something there changing that the commerce space is is becoming much more community driven exciting stuff we've ranted for 20 minutes on fashion tech now without the kind of planning for it uh, it's obvious that there are um, many th- topics that we can deep dive into uh, retail supply chain uh, new manufacturing methods ar vr uh, let's try to uh, sort of detangle this into separate topics in the weeks to come uh, in the meantime anyone who's interested can read up on um, our uh, latest article uh, from EP Summit in Florence and also the reports that we've mentioned uh, from uh, Business of Fashion and McKinsey and also CB Insights Research. You'll find them in our show notes. All right, in other lighter news, perhaps, Instagram have started testing NFTs with select creators <laughs> this week. Let's talk about NFTs one more time. We can't help ourselves. Uh, and okay. we're going to end the show so, talking about the knowledge about NFTs. But, but Isidine, Eric, uh, you've, you've looked into to this story. What's happening? Yeah, so on Monday this week, the head of Instagram, Adam Mosseri, he explained how now NFTs are coming to Instagram. And we're going to test uh, NFT. People are going to post their NFTs, owners and artists on Instagram. And we're going to select uh, a few owners and artists to do this. Mm. So to start with, it's, it's a beta, beta project. So to start with, they're only supporting Ethereum and Polygon at first. It will probably add more if this is a success. And uh, like Solana and Flow, I'm only assuming. And the uh, wallets that they're supporting right now are Rainbow, MetaMask, and Trust Wallet. So they might add more later. But anyway, so basically, this thing they said on Monday that they're going to try this whole week. They're going to take this big step. It includes three big like uh, highlights or three things that it's included in this, in this uh, push. So it's connecting a digital wallet. So once you're connected to your wallet, you will have the ability to choose whatever NFT is in there. So let's say you have 100 different you can just choose and post it on Instagram. And the second thing that's sharing the collectible, how does it look when it's shared on Instagram? Mm. I thought maybe like this, this was on Monday, he said this. So I've been like kind of curiously checking Instagram every week, checking these creators, checking these selected few that were supposed to share. And I haven't seen anything. But today then, um, uh, last night actually, when we were sleeping, the first ever Instagram NFT was posted. And 
I thought maybe like the feed would start warping and like it would be some kind of sound and some cool effects, but it's basically just a regular picture with a little, you know, verification tick at the bottom. <laughs> so, and I, I don't know, I don't know, I I don't have the uh, the receipt of how to go about this, but uh, I don't know. I think it was kind of underwhelming. Anyways, and then the third part thing that comes with this is, which I think is actually pretty cool, is is an automatic tagging of both the creator and the collector. So this is cool. Mm-hmm. Let's say you create art and you create uh, an NFT. Whenever, whenever someone posts this on Instagram or share it through their wallet, let's say I make one, I will always be tagged. My name mm-hmm. will always pop up there. You, you can't hide mm-hmm. from it. And I think this is pretty cool. That's interesting. You know, yeah. us being journalists mm-hmm. and stuff. And me always writing all these articles, finding pictures. Who am I supposed to tag? Who Who's the photographer? I think it's really cool of sharing stuff and reposting stuff and always knowing exactly who it is. Like Instagram will get to the bottom. I think that's, that's, that's cool. uh, that example, Eric, is, is um, I mean, this is my five cents after having heard about this uh, 15 seconds ago. <laughs> I think that, that example is probably the one that is going to scale uh, and that so. will have the biggest impact. Because obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm reposting stuff every day. People are doing mm-hmm. it every day, right? And I, I, you know, I try to to be um, nice and 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 kind of mention the the, the photographer or the the artist that, that that I'm reposting. But I think that is in itself, it's kind of a social media uh, watermark mm. that you yeah. cannot uh, yeah. get away from. I think that is super super interesting. What I was booing about in Conan's introduction. <laughs> I love that. Was you, actually you started, now we're booing each other on the podcast. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, I just get more and more frustrated and annoyed how shitty looking all the NFTs are. You know, right. it, it, they, it's it just like I don't try to be elitist in in my aesthetics, but you know, it just looks like shit. You know, it's just amateurish and. I think that in itself is one of the problems of why NFT art, let's say, is not like it's not going to take off, really. I mean, unless you get the aesthetics in place. Anyways, enough of the ranting. I like this um, (laughs) this automatic tagging that you're talking about. That that is super exciting. Talking about that whole tagging thing. I know I had a friend when I was in high school. He would go on like Tumblr, Pinterest, whatever, and he would just screenshot like pictures of cool cars and nice villas mm. and hotels and you know private jets and he would post them on his Instagram. he made an instagram account called like luxury living or something you know and he had no idea who the photographer was whose car it was whose you know whose villa it was but he would mm. gain such a big traction this is like early days of instagram and he got like back then like thirty thousand followers was huge mm. you know he would start selling stuff like having competitions and doing these like influencer collaboration stuff back then and i just thought about like it's crazy me being a creative and a photographer how he just stole stuff like he just stayed up screenshotted them reposted it and no one like even the people followed they had no idea who it was like who is this person who is this photographer i want to see more what you're talking about there is it's kind of like the napster era of of sharing photos it's uh, a kind of (laughs) wild west you're just sharing all over the place there there are you know many examples of of kind of brands that have started that way there's a you know cult fashion brand in the states called jjj jound that started as one of these kind of uh, Tumblr uh, blogs. He just posted the, the, the most awesomely curated uh, posts that, yeah. of wonderful like clothes and, and uh, mm. cars and places and lifestyle objects. Um, Roland, maybe you remember this. I remember, uh, yes. He, he, and he has taken it down since because he merged into a brand and he, now he's selling kind of 
to me kind of boring hoodies and uh, you know uh, baseball caps and, and, st- and stuff like that. But but that was that was how Tumblr worked. Like you reposted mm. uh, like crazy, and uh, you know obviously the promise of Web three, what you, what you know, what we've been talking about a lot on the on the podcast and in the magazine is this kind of both the decentralization of it, but also the 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 way that creators can actually uh, get monetize their 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 work of art. There's technology in place that can, uh, you know, as this example that uh, you can, if if you want to see how it works, you can we can link to an article on TechCrunch that has the screenshots uh, mm-hmm. where. Uh, the creator of the artwork gets gets tagged. It's it's, it's really fascinating. Um, the but the other thing is, of course, that you know this is Meta, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook. They want to uh, you know tap into this this economy. Uh, it's it's they they are really adamant about it. Uh, there was a really good interview with Adam Osiri, I think, on the Techery podcast. I, I can't remember. Uh, he he talks at length about this, and he wants to. Um, kind of create a new kind of ecosystem where very idealistic he wants sort of YouTube and Google and and Snapchat and TikTok and all these companies to come together to standardize how to uh, um, uh, you know basically publish uh, uh, the the works of art from from creators and that's a, a utopia of sorts I don't know where they're yeah. aiming with that sounds like it's not going to happen I don't know but this is obviously a first step from them and, and it's no surprise that it's Adam Mosseri that that sort of leading the way I think he has he's really forward thinking about this but can I ask you Eric I'm just curious <clears throat> do do you know if that uh, automatic automatic tagging is only going to be for uh, verified uh, kind of uh, wallet connected um, that's, accounts uh, yeah that's what I've they only better now obviously and they only posted one NFT but that's what I realized that if you it's only when you post through the wallet that you can see who the who the uh, the owner and the and the creator is so but I would only assume let's say they make some kind of AI algorithm thing that if you screenshot something you can kind of match what the original looks like and in the future like in Utopia maybe that's that's what I would like at least so you can match the original if, if everything on Instagram is through the blockchain. And but you know, is this is again, I, I think we should do more research on this uh, and I will definitely do it. Uh, but this might actually be one of the solutions to scale um, NFTs. Uh, I mean, in, in, the, in the creator community, because obviously every artist, every photographer, every designer, they want to own whatever they, they create, right? And mm. I think it, it, it had, I mean, obviously a lot of designers and artists have adopted um, these uh, new technologies, but f- I mean, it's still a very small percentage, right? But yes. if it, but every artist, every photographer have a problem today with these kind of reposts and stealing of their artwork, etc. So, I mean, this could maybe force the, the creator community to actually adopt these new Web3 technologies and platforms in order to secure ownership, basically. So I think this is really, really interesting. So the booing was more about the, the, the shitty aesthetics, but um, the sharing is really about this. I think the automated tagging, that's super, super interesting. Hmm. It is, yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about NFTs and the development of them. This is going to be a longer uh, episode than usual because I re- earlier this week I spoke to Oscar Noid, the head of innovation for Samsung Nordics, who recently launched a report 
called Digital Connection uh, about the uh, the you know, sort of general population's view of NFTs. And um, uh, guys, how many uh, percentage-wise, how many people has bought an NFT in Sweden? Do you can you guess? Um, zero, zero point, point two. <laughs> zero point zero five. You're you're actually lowballing it. It's actually two percent. Uh, so it's really? it's uh, bigger Crazy. than that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, there are also other findings. Six percent of people uh, asked are, are say they are looking into buying uh, NFTs uh, in sort of the the weeks and months to come. Uh, wow. Anyways, we're going to get into this uh, now. Talking to Oscar Noid, uh, the head of innovation for Samsung Nordics, about this new survey about uh, NFTs. Uh, enjoy. <laughs> All right, so now I'm here with Oscar Noid, head of innovation at Samsung Nordics. Uh, Oscar, good to speak to you again. Good to speak to you, Conrad. So uh, the reason we're talking is, of course, that uh, you guys released, I think, the first of its kind. I've never seen anything like it in uh, Sweden or the Nordics. A uh, big survey on the knowledge of NFTs uh, within the, the sort of uh, wide population. Um, it's sort of uh, the, the title is uh, uh, Digital Connection, the View of NFTs. So I'm super curious. We're going to go into some of the findings, but just to begin with, why did you guys decide to do this report? Well, first of all, uh, NFT is such an interesting area. We think that there is uh, still a lot, a big information gap. Still, a lot of people are curious about it, and actually, we'll come back to that in the report as well, which confirms our suspicions that there is a big curiosity but overall we see that there's also a really good match to what Samsung does. I mean we create technology that you have in your living room or in every room of your home where you can both create art, you can store art and you can uh, enjoy art. So we have a good match to the NFT market and wanted to understand what the people across Nordics uh, thought about it. Super fascinating. And uh, the last time we spoke to each other was on stage at the Otherlands NFT Festival that you guys also were a part of or a supporter of. Uh, so uh, this this conversation feels a little bit like a continuation of that. But there is, let's just go into directly to some of the findings. I think there's some sobering uh, um, as numbers to, to get from this, uh, you know, listeners of this podcast know we talk a lot about NFTs and if you're into sort of crypto uh, things happening in the NFT art space, you can kind of easily get the the appearance that everyone is into this and everyone is buying NFTs and and uh, as this study shows, that is uh, so not the case. Uh, just to pick a few numbers uh, about how many people who, that has invested in NFTs the last years, a staggering 2%. Uh, were you uh, surprised by these numbers or, or was it uh, uh, something you expected? I, I was not very surprised by the numbers. I think, I mean, because we saw, for example, a lot more people have invested or have awareness around cryptocurrencies. Mm. Uh, and I think... If we asked around cryptocurrencies just a few years ago, we would probably get this same 2%. So I think mm. it's, it's natural. It's in an, NFT is in an early stage. I mean, there has been some things that have happened that have got big media coverage, like, you know, art being sold for, or digital art being sold for like $600 million. So obviously these things attract a lot of attention. But I mean, overall awareness is still quite low. And 
that was expected. Let's let's go into uh, some of the other uh, f- findings here. Uh, what were some of the things that surprised you, or what stuck out when when you got the got the numbers back from this survey? Well, I think one part which was really interesting is around uh, what we just said. Only two percent have invested in uh, in NFT in the last uh, twelve months, but there is a growing interest in investing in NFT. So if we, I mean, there's uh, around half of Swedes know about NFT uh, in Sweden. I think out of, this was a Nordic survey that we did across all four Nordic countries. So, I mean, in Sweden, around half of the population know about NFT. Uh, In Denmark and Norway, it's a little bit less, it's around one third. And Finland is actually down to like just one quarter of the population that knows about NFT. So... Sweden is definitely leading in terms of awareness uh, in the Nordics. We can also see clearly that uh, there is an age gap here. So we see in the younger generation, uh, 18 to 29 year olds, there's a much higher, seven out of 10 people uh, in that age bracket have heard about NFT and are somewhat interested. Whereas if we look in uh, the above 50 year old, uh, we are less than one in three people that uh, that know about NFT. I think that's also reflected a little bit coming back to why we did this survey. It was a lot about being a part of this market and being a, a credible source of information and, and sharing information in a, a slightly different way. I mean, today, a lot of the information around NFT is coming through YouTube or other digital channels and it's spreading organically in that way but I think now Samsung has a good role to to take in this to to spread knowledge as well around the around it so there's also some difference in uh, in gender the when when you read the numbers uh, were you surprised by this well it's uh, again not very surprising I would say that when it comes it's let's say typical of when it comes to new technology and especially financial instruments. Uh, Normally, uh, it it has a higher awareness among men. When it has a more, let's say, social interest, then it has uh, new new tech uh, is more popular among women. So again, it kind of just um, confirmed uh, that uh, that's also the way that NFT is viewed. So Let's talk a little bit more about the you know the future for Samsung in this space and and uh, feel free to talk as much or as little as you can describe. But obviously you were a sponsor of this NFT art festival. Um, we've talked about it in this podcast. I was obviously there as a moderator as well for, in full transparency. So this was a situation where you know obviously Samsung was present you know with your screens very very. Uh, clear sort of use case a lot of uh, Nordic NFT artists were there displaying their work on your screens uh, what future do you see for Samsung uh, in this space or what role do you see for Samsung uh, is there any more uh, nuance you can give there yes absolutely so I think if, uh, again there's these three areas within NFT that are quite clear 
first of all around creation, uh, using our products to create NFT. And that was a lot about what Otherlands was about. It was bringing artists together, letting them inspire each other, how to create on our products with our products in different ways. So we had some, some great art being created live there a, on our one of our Tab S8. So it's really uh, good to see. So, and I mean, that's something that we will keep doing definitely from Samsung side. Then we have the possibility to enjoy your art. That would be the second bucket to, you know, somehow display. Also, when we talk about NFT, we tend to compare it a lot to art, which is hanging on the wall. Of course, that's one big part of it. And there you could use, for example, our frame TVs or something like that. But also NFTs can also be music or can be a lot of other things where you also can use Samsung's technology to enjoy it. And then the last part, which gets a little bit more technical, is around the storing and being able to uh, secure the blockchain. So there, there's initiatives all over the world that is, uh, we have Samsung Pay, we have the Samsung Blockchain Wallet, uh, and we have Samsung Pass, which is using biometric authentication for passwords. So bringing those three together uh, is now becoming something that is called Samsung Wallet, where I see a future where NFT definitely has a part, uh, has a part in the Samsung Wallet. Uh, even though today it's mainly ba uh, based around uh, using blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, but uh, definitely NFTs will be part of your wallet or digital wallet for the future. So I think we have a lot of interesting things happening here. That's super interesting. I, I was not aware of that, uh, that you did the, 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 the wallet. And I, but I did notice in the uh, survey that you were asking kind of about the, you know, the consumer's worries or risks about investing in NFTs. And, and uh, I'm guessing this is why you asked the question. You're talking about being a credible source. There, there is some, you know, obviously a lot of debate about the volatility of cryptocurrencies, the volatility of the price of NFTs. Uh, so you're saying that, that Samsung wants to be uh, a kind of a, a safe haven uh, of NFT, so to speak. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> I, I like the expression safe haven. I, I wish we can be a safe haven. But I mean, in, in the meanwhile, let us at least be, as we said, a credible source. So I think what's so interesting about NFT is that it's a good mix of a grassroots movement, which comes from the art community, mm. which is building up. And then there's uh, big tech uh, where we have to include Samsung that is, you know, coming from the other perspective of it. And this is really merging it all together. So when it comes to risk and uh, investment, I think that that's also, I mean, we asked a lot in the survey around how how you look at in, uh, NFT as an investment. And that's where, again, Samsung can teach you a little bit about how it works. We can see that uh, a lot of people are very still uh, worried about uh, the volatility of NFT. I mean, if we look at um, just at the the price changes that have happened over the years. I mean, November last year, we saw some kind of uh, peak in terms of pricing of NFTs, went down to uh, almost half, and now it's mm. bounced back again in April. So we see a huge volatility and something is not going to be your investment advisor in this. So that that's up to you. Uh, but we, I mean, be careful and having knowledge about what it is that you invest in, that's what we want to contribute with. 
Wonderful. And uh, just uh, be honest now, are you part of the 2% or are you part of the, the 98% that hasn't bought an NFT? Uh, where do you stand yourself? <laughs> yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you uh, an honest answer. Uh, I'm not part of the 2% that have invested in NFT, but I am part of the 6% that plan to invest in NFT. Okay. Uh, and I think that's also really interesting to see that uh, uh, when we asked people, not a lot of people have invested in NFT, we talked about that, but we see a, a quite big portion that intend to invest in mm. NFT, especially again, looking at the 18 to 29 year olds, we saw that in there, out of the in that group, eight percent had invested in NFT, but up to seventeen percent are planning to in the coming twelve months, and I think that is just so um, so interesting to see that it's it's a big portion, and also I'm I'm thinking that when we look at uh, other ways to invest, we also asked about that, that like asking it to like cryptocurrencies traditional art or uh, the stocks or uh, bonds and i think what's interesting was that uh, none of the other ones went down meaning that uh, investing into nft is something you want to do additional it's something new it's not that you would invest less in art which mm. for me you know, Connor, we've met a few times, you know, I'm very interested in art. My passion in NFT comes from the art uh, side of it. So I'm really hoping that NFT can be the kind of, um, well, what Napster did for uh, for the music industry, even though that was illegal, but, but it was a start of growing a huge interest in music that I think we're still seeing today and the possibility to stream music. And I hope that NFT even though small today, might scratch the surface and just bring out a, a bigger art interest in in the general world, in the general population, where you can come into your art interests from a tech or investment perspective in a way that maybe the traditional art world has not been that open to the general public. Mm. I, I like that sentiment a, a lot. And uh, uh, so just to end with, uh, you know, from your own art interest, uh, uh, for someone who's not into art, what, where would you recommend them to start? What, what are some of your favorites, uh, be they uh, traditional artists or NFT artists? Yeah, well, again, my my interest really comes from from the art interest. And I'm, I'm, I can honestly say I'm at the moment looking into uh, buying a... Maurits Karlström with painting that I've been looking at for a long time. It's a bit more expensive than I can afford, but I would say that uh, start with your love, find something that you're passionate about. Uh, don't invest money that you're in need of. Uh, they just, you know, buy something that you're passionate about. Expect that prices might go up and down. That's going to be the case. So um, my my only advice is that kind of follow your heart and invest in something that feels good and that you're not necessarily seeing it as just an investment. Mm. So just to end with, is there anything, where can we see this going from, from Samsung? Will you continue doing these reports or is there anything else you want to mention in terms of where you are going into this space just, just to end the, uh, the conversation with? Yeah, well, I think definitely you'll see more from Samsung in this space. First of all, what we've learned from this uh, survey is that there is a big interest, but people are worried about the barriers and risks of, of this. Uh, but there is also an interesting paradox in this, which means that I'm also not necessarily not that interested in learning more, which is 
again, there is a big interest, but I'm also not interested in learning more. And I think from Samsung's perspective, we want to fill that void and make it easily accessible to find the right kind of information that you are interested in. So you're going to see some upcoming reports on this. We're not right now looking into things around the metaverse and specifically around security. So keep an eye out. There's going to be a few more reports from our side, but also you will see us more in terms of art collaborations as well going forward. So definitely a lot more interesting things happening. Good stuff. Looking forward to that. Oskar Neu, the head of innovation for Samsung Nordics. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks, Conrad. All right, that was Oskar Noid, head of innovation at Samsung uh, Nordics. Guys, this has been a packed episode. We had a lot to talk about. Maybe, uh, Roland, your pause from last week um, uh, made you want to talk even more on the podcast. Mm, yeah, maybe. I'm going to London next week. Where, what are you guys doing? Uh, I might be going to Gothenburg to check out the Einride pod. Ooh, oh, yeah. Einride. I mean... I wanted to. I wanted to go. That was my trip, but I, you know, I have a kind of a company to run, so I couldn't go. So uh, I, I really you, envy you. No, but <laughs> exactly. I've been writing about this Ainride pod for like two and a half years now. So I, yeah. I really have to see with my own eyes to believe it. Kind of. It, it was. It was yours. It was yours to take that trip. Uh, also, we'll we'll learn more about what you've been doing in in Paris. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a bunch of stuff coming out uh, um, online. Uh, you know, obviously we had the big interview with Jesper Kautoft from Issue 3 is now Loved online, it. the founder of, of Teenage Engineer. Wonderful story. Uh, actually, I'm sorry to say, Roland, and I'm sorry to say to myself, it's the one story that we've, I've received most compliments uh, in this issue. Uh, wonderful interview. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. Uh, I mean, I, it, it was a great story and, and also it's a great person. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, all credits to the... Uh, super, super yeah. happy about that. And, uh, you know, uh, I've also, you know, I was in Helsinki last week uh, also planning. I have an idea of doing a launch of issue four in Helsinki uh, later this fall. We can talk about, we should start thinking about new... Uh, stories that can oh trump my god the deadlines Kato. coming up again <laughs> <laughs> deadlines are looming i have in, to fly uh... back to stockholm now <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys uh this has been a great show uh this has been scandinavian mind weekly with me conrad olson roland flip kletchmar and eric sedin don't forget to sign up for our newsletter visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter until next week goodbye bye bye